everyone. This is Joel Junker with Cameron Brooks, and welcome to another episode of the Cameron Brooks Podcast, Above and Beyond. In this episode, I interview or speak with David Dostel, who is a uh, senior program manager in enterprise excellence and business transformation at Medtronic. Medtronic is one of the largest uh, medical, healthcare, medical device companies in the world. Uh, Dave is located in their U.S. headquarters uh, area in Minneapolis, St. Paul, uh, Minnesota area. And he's in a role where he's focused on quality, continuous process improvement. Uh, Dave is a former uh, Navy uh, aviator, uh, undergraduate uh, from the Naval Academy, graduating in 2004, earned his uh, MBA or is at the University of Minnesota since making the transition to Medtronic. And before he transitioned out, he had a Master of Arts from Georgetown University as well. Dave has been incredibly successful in his career, and he has some excellent insight on how to take control of your career, uh, how to take on a hard assignments and challenge yourself, and the, the, how to address the steep learning curve one has earlier in their career. And then finally, he gives some uh, recommendations at the end of the uh, podcast about some good books to read, First 90 Days, Drive, quiet, and we'll get all of those, uh, talk about all those in this episode. So enjoy. Dave, thank you for joining us for the, the Cameron Brooks podcast, and we appreciate you being, uh, being a guest and sharing your knowledge with our listeners. Thanks, Joel. I'm happy to be here. All right. So we, uh, for the listeners here, Dave and I got a chance to catch up a little bit before we got started. And um, Dave is calling from Minnesota and uh, working for Medtronic. Um, Dave, before we talk about what you do at Medtronic, and um, will you just share with the listeners a little bit about your military background and your decision to transition out of the, the Navy uh, and take us up to the point where you made that transition? And then we'll just jump into you sharing with the listeners a little bit about what you do at Medtronic. Okay, Joel, great. So um, I was a Navy pilot for 10 years. I commissioned through the Naval Academy, um, and then I went to flight school in Pensacola where I selected helicopters, uh, and specifically the HSL community, which doesn't really exist anymore. It's now the HSM community, and it's uh, really we deploy on small ships. And so in my first tour, I deployed on a number of different small ships. Uh, where I served uh, different roles, but primarily as uh, an operations officer, so responsible for coordinating a lot of the activities with the the ships we were on, as well as other squadrons and entities we dealt with. And then also as uh, I was an aviation safety officer, um, which meant I was responsible for really, in, in terms of how our squadron and how our detachment uh, implemented safety policies from the Navy and then complied to regulations and then handled any sort of mishap or other incident regarding flying activities. Um, and so from there, I then went to teach primary flight training at VT-27 in Corpus Christi, Texas. Uh, there we, you know, we teach really across the spectrum of classes uh, or in uh, different types of flights. I had, uh, I think, around 12 on-wings, which is where you really take them to the first steps all the way up to soloing. I was aviation safety officer again there, and I, you know, I'll highlight that because that really influenced why I got the job I did at Medtronic with, when I left and, and what started my interest to, to begin with in, in quality here in the medical device industry. Um, and then, so once I wrapped up being an instructor, I ended up 
finishing my, my 10 years at, on the USS Theodore Roosevelt as an aircraft launch and recovery officer. I led the uh, Air Department's training uh, program, as well as uh, was a uh, an officer leading a lot of the enlisted folks as part of the, the uh, division there. Uh, managing the aircraft uh, launch and recovery equipment. So it was a good a breadth of really program leadership and direct leadership. Um, I One thing I wanted to to do when I transitioned is really move more into leading some strategic programs and less emphasis on direct leadership. And so that was one of the reasons I chose the role I did with Medtronic. And then, you know, ultimately I decided to transition because I felt I I could see my career path in the Navy. I felt there was more opportunity if I stepped outside of that and I just was not being challenged mentally the way I wanted to. to I uh, really wanted somewhere I could go where it would be a new opportunity and, and really a new transition. And that's what caused me to really look externally outside of the Navy. Yeah, because you were, I mean, you had 10 and a half years in. Um, yeah, certainly. Yeah, I, um, I did. Could have stayed a little longer. That's correct. Yeah, and it was a tough choice. I talked to a lot of people. You know, I got involved with Cameron Brooks early. They re referred me to a number of, of different candidates that I could talk to and get their perspectives. I talked to a number of my senior leaders, uh, people I considered mentors, and, and ultimately through that process just determined that I, I felt my best fit was outside, outside it. And I felt going through Cameron Brooks really offered the best opportunity for preparation for that as well as the best um, potential opportunities to land at a really good company in a good industry, particularly since I had no real specific um, thoughts on where I wanted to go. I just kind of knew what type of work I wanted to do when I got out. Um, before we jump into the, you knew what type of work that you wanted to do, um, how did you, what were like some of the questions you had when you started thinking about getting out before you even like engage with Cameron Brooks, like what was running through your head? I think the, Probably the thing that comes up the most often, both for me and then for peers talking to them, is really um, will the will the economics of it work out? Will you get a good paying job? Will it be consistent? Am I walking away from a really good retirement that is is fairly you know it's it you don't really have to work for it once you make your 20 years. It's just at that point it's that permanent pension. And so there were a lot of those questions, and then there were the the big cultural issues uh, you know you're walking away from a lot of friends you're walking away from in my case you know 10 10 active duty years 14 if you include the naval academy that's a lot of time to be with one culture and one uh relatively large entity and so there's a the natural fear or tentativeness that comes with walking away from that in a really an unknown place um and then i would say kind of contributing to that is coming from aviation a lot of people don't really leave by choice. A lot of the people who tended to leave when I was there were either not getting promoted or you were exposed to a lot of reservists coming back who wish they had it left. And so it was a lot of a lot of misconceptions being spread when you talk to those people. So I think the big thing that I, I needed to do and I recommend for anybody if you're unsure is find those other honest brokers who can just give you the other side of the story and understand people's different biases and that they'll, they'll maybe try to justify their own decisions. And so you, you just have to take those different perspectives and then balance them for what makes sense for you. What did you find about the economics when you did your research? You had this concern, I'm giving up uh, 10 and a half years 
uh, where I could stay another 10, I get this retirement. Uh, you're, you know, we all can take a guess what an aviator was making with 10 years of experience. What did you find? Especially now that you have four or five years of hindsight behind you in terms of compensation and promotions and those types of things. Yeah, I think the economics initially, initially you might have to take a slight step back. I did not have to, to adjust, and that's just purely salary. And then when you put on things, on top of it, things like bonuses, you know, other incentives that you get in terms of benefits that are harder to quantify. Um, I really find that the the economics are really rebalanced, but I don't feel like you ever lose anything. And then in the long run, I feel like the upside has been much better on my, on where I'm at now. Um, now you do, there's always the chance that you might lose the job security, depending on the company or in the industry, or but that, that to me is really a small risk because if you keep yourself competitive, if you keep your skills there, you'll be able to transition either to another company or another role within your company fairly easily if you're willing to really get out there and network and meet people and, and, and talk to people. I think there's a lot of options to you that you don't really consider being that the military typically has a very direct singular career path. And that's just a great segue to something that we were talking about before we started the, the, the recording of the podcast here is you started talking about how important it is to take control of your career, where in the military, it's like you kind of almost can hop on this track, if you will, and the inertia will just keep you on that track, uh, where there's a lot yeah. more freedom in the, mil in the business world to, to, to take control of your career. So it's upon you. And you just alluded to that. So will you, will you color that, that idea in that you brought up before we got on the, pod, on the podcast? Yeah, absolutely. I think um, you, you led into that well. It's really about taking ownership for your career, and you have so many other options. So, um, you know, my title is a senior program manager, which is pretty, pretty broad, but uh, it, it encompasses a number of areas, and I could really stay with this type of job title for the next 20 years, doing completely different things across my company as well as across multiple different industries where they're looking for a skill set I have. And so it's all about meeting people and being able to explain how your background fits to it. So just like, just like um, in the Cameron Brooks career conference and the preparation for it, they talk about talking about your military background to how it will transition to that job. It's the exact same thing if you're moving within in a company, if you're moving within industries. And so you really have the ability to, to build whatever path you have. I think I described it as, you know, the, the road is wide open for you. You can really define a whole set of uh, different options. And I think the quicker you learn that and the quicker you go into a new career with that mindset, the, the more willing um, you are to, to spearhead that, to really steer that ship, and then also to take control of your situation there because people want to really see that see that you are um, taking ownership for the, for the role as well as the responsibilities they've given you. To a certain extent, I guarantee they'll feel like they've taken a risk uh, if they're not used to hiring military by bringing in someone who's outside the industry and outside the corporate world, and they want to feel confident they made the right choice. And the quickest way to do that is to to be clear on what you can and can't do, ask a lot of questions and really take uh, ownership and show the willingness to really drive drive home what, what you're responsible for and, and make it get done, basically. See, what I hear is like ask questions, learn as much as you can, 
add value wherever you possibly can and deliver the results on what you're what you've been given to do like do the small things and do them really well is that yeah is that come yeah what what was your experience like what are some things that you specifically did in like you know there's a book called the first 90 days and it's a great book on how to establish yourself in a company but maybe you could if dave dossel wrote a book on like the first 90 days what would your recommendation of people do like in the first three or four months at a company? I would say the first thing you should do is have a very direct conversation with your, your new manager about how, how they will start preparing you. Um, I think having a very good upfront uh, onboarding process, even if it's just a few days, can, can really set the foundation for that. It gives you the basic knowledge of the company, the basic knowledge of the role, who are the key stakeholders, uh, what are your major responsibilities, and, and what do you need to know about either the industry or the regulatory environment, in my case, to really start that process. And, and once you have those tools, then you can really take a lot of that knowledge gaining process under your own control. You can set up the meetings with the stakeholders, and the other people you'll work with and, and have very, you know, frank conversations about what you do and don't know about their uh, their roles and their responsibilities and how you integrate with them. I, I make it a point to always ask people like what they expect from the person in my role and kind of keep it third person like that so that they're more willing to tell you frankly about what they expect and what they need where they might be a little hesitant if you're saying, you know, what do you need from me specifically? Mm -hmm. And I think really that knowledge gaining process is probably the, the majority of that first, you know, 30 or even 60 days, depending on the complication of it, complicated, excuse me, how complicated the role is. But in parallel, as you learn more, you're gradually taking control of things. You're talking to your manager about what you can own and defining how often you want to meet with them to get input and vice versa. And as they see you able to develop and hit certain smaller milestones, they're willing to give you more responsibility and, and more ownership. Um, and, you know, in, in my case, I stepped in a fairly complicated role and that, you know, by showing that ability to, to um, understand the regulatory environment and the requirements behind it, they were really uh, willing to transition a lot of the ownership of different activities, like some of the major meetings we led to me quickly let me facilitate those you know get your feet wet as fast as possible and then you know by that time you hit that 60 to 90 day period you're much more willing to and able to to articulate a strategy and specific actions or improvements that you think you can directly make and um i think the more direct you can be but re you know respectful within the, the culture of the company in terms of how they communicate uh, then people really respond to that, especially senior leadership who really want to see someone taking responsibility and, and driving home those set of activities that they want that that position to own. It's it's such a just great advice, and I can just hear you because you, you talked there for a while. I can just hear it in your voice, like how excited you you are about or were at that time, but getting in and just hey, how can I help? How can I add value? Just do the again, do those little things really well. You know, we got a little out of order here. Probably be helpful to tell the listeners what is what do you what is Medtronic? And I think a lot of people know it, but not everybody might know what Medtronic does. And then 
you mentioned that you had this safety background as an aviator and you ended up in a role at Medtronic that played off of that. So let's, we have to take a step back. Tell us a little bit about the group, what Medtronic does, the group that you work with at Medtronic, and then your role and career path. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's a good point. We should probably touch on that here. So uh, Medtronic is a, a large medical device company. We we make things like our primary pr uh, products have always been like heart related, uh, pacemakers, defibrillators, implantable devices. Um, we have four uh, major business divisions of which uh, I started in our cardiac and vascular group, which deals with anything really cardiac and vascular, hence the name. Uh, things like the defibrillator, stents, um, other devices to help with the circulatory system. And then we also have divisions that deal with things like um, neurology and pain management, spinal care. Uh, we have a diabetes unit, and then we have what we call our minim minimally invasive therapies group, which deals with a lot of different surgical technologies and devices. And so um, when I started at Medtronic, we were about half the size. And then shortly after I joined, we acquired the company Covidian. And, and it's really been a growth process over the last five years as the two companies have come together and really overnight doubled the revenue and do doubled the number of people. And um, the company has done a lot to really streamline its operations and improve its efficiencies overall. And so um, I started in our uh, quality systems area in our CVG, our cardiac and vascular group, as I said. And I, I really got that role because a, I was looking for something that was not necessarily direct leadership and, and was large scale like program or project management. And my aviation safety background um, fell into that because I could speak to understanding and impl implementing regulations both with the FAA and, and um, just Navy, Naval aviation standards. I could speak to a number of different uh, projects and opportunities for improvement. I was involved in that dealt with a number of organizations and and that's really critical at Medtronic is that we're very what we call matrix organizations so you know our business groups have to work with our regional entities and then we have a functional matrix you know quality HR finance that really lays across the two so starting in quality systems was a was a really good perspective because I could really get a, a good sense of how the company operated as a whole um, our structure, I worked across a number of different entities. Um, I got exposure to both very tactical quality things like solving quality problems at our, our one site where I started up in Mount View, Minnesota, and then also um, some of our bigger strategic programs that worked across the entire business division. Um, I was there for about two and a half years, and, and then I transitioned to my current role, which uh, has actually evolved uh, two times significantly different responsibilities, but still within the, the broader program management aspect. So uh, right now I'm in a group that is overseeing a major enterprise transformation um, where we are, we're tasked with really working across all the different functional and business group teams who are implementing a lot of these different initiatives. Uh, we're there to, to lend support uh, we track and report on a lot of these things like financial savings and benefits, uh, and then do a lot of the long-term strategic planning or help with a lot of that long-term strategic planning and really enable a lot of the, the uh, data collection and communication around it. And so uh, it's been a really uh, diverse 
I would say, very changeable role. You have to be really willing to flex. Like I said, the role has changed a number of times just by how they've reoriented our, our group that I'm part of. Um, but likewise, I got a lot of experience across the company. I, I've really seen and I have a, a much deeper appreciation for the complexity of, of maintaining and operating a business from, from an internal perspective, how we achieve efficiencies and, and implement major strategic programs and meet our, our financial deadlines. And so uh, it's, been, it's been a very interesting couple of years and, and I've really learned a lot from it. Well, Dave, I love the explanation of quality. You, uh, when, for sometimes when people think about quality, like, ah, you know, I'm not sure. They think about quality almost like if you go back to the military, you have like inspector generals or you have these like people come and inspect your ship or you know, I was in the army. They would come inspect our arms room and things like that. They associate a quality organization with something like that in the military. But like you said, you are driving things and working across the company and you saw like the whole part of the company's quality touches every aspect from new product development to supplier selection to product launches to are you saying the right things in marketing materials and i just love how you said that because i think there's a lot of misperceptions out there about quality and in in a medical device company quality is a core function within the organization yeah, that's absolutely true. And I mean, if, if it even remotely touches the, the product, like you said, marketing doesn't directly touch it, but it's heavily involved in sale of product. All of that has a quality regulation around it that we have to ensure we're showing compliance to. And what a lot of people don't understand is like, the regulations are fairly sparse. And so we have to design our own quality systems. And there's certain industry best practices that companies um, adopt, but really, how our system, the overall process structure and maintenance of it is set up is really dependent on each company. And then we have to prove to the regulators that it's sufficient to maintain our products, meet all our standards, ensure we're reporting complaints appropriately. And so um, it's really the maintenance of that apparatus, those connection points, that's really what quality systems is. And so quality can be, like you said, new product development, or you're on the line monitoring manufacturing quality, could be very engineering oriented like that. It could also be very business process um, oriented. Like I was, I was dealing with a lot, a lot more. And there's, there's a lot of crossover between those areas. So it's, it's really a lot of places to go. A lot of different opportunities within that space. And you know, like I highlight our CEO as a quarterly town hall, and he, there are only two functions that give routine updates. One is HR for things like. Um, you know, diversity and other important metrics they measure. And the second one is quality and speaking to our quality metrics and how they impact our production goals and how they impact our, our bonus payments and, and ensuring we're delivering top quality safe products to our patients and hospitals and, and doctors and other customers out there. Yeah, I thought you were going to say maybe the finance organization, but if you think about it, quality, if you get the quality right and you get the people right, it's going to drive the financial numbers. Yeah, absolutely. It really, it's, it's really embedded within that. I mean, if we do something wrong and it, you know, it's either going to turn into some sort of litigation or it will likely turn into an FDA issue. And both of those cost a tremendous amount of money to pay for it. But then 
just the time and the resources you're pulling away from real, you know, value add work um, is significant. It's probably more significant than the actual, you know, bottom line dollar number you're going to to be able to measure. Um, so, you know, one of the things I've always talked about quality, and you've been talking, you've you really hit on all this is how much it's just integrated with everything. So, where can your career go? at Medtronic with this background and quality? I mean, can you go to marketing? Could you, can you go to engineering? Can you go to new product development? Can you go to, can you go international? I mean, what is this, starting in quality in this type of role, how has this set you up for the future? So I think you have to be, you have to decide what you want to do when you go into quality. Um, you, do you want to be like a quality vice president, like um, head of quality for Medtronic? in which case you have to be very specific about how you move through quality. You'll want to touch a lot of different areas like manufacturing quality or supplier quality, quality systems. Um, if you want to understand quality, but maybe move into another functional area, then that having that knowledge of quality is always an enabler, especially for those functions that might touch quality. And so that's always a career benefit. And then often just moving into those other areas um, you might try to, you'll, you'll usually have to kind of build that platform to step into it. So uh, if you're looking to go into marketing, find a way you can plug into a project as the quality representative in a marketing process. We, we have what's called CAPAs, which are corrective and, corrective and preventive actions, which are essentially internal investigations to identify and correct root causes to problems. And so those really cut across all functions. If you can get involved with one of those that touches on marketing or training or HR, you can that can often give you great experience that will set you up into transition elsewhere. And, and um, I think at a company like this, medical uh, quality experience is always valued in a function. And then, you know, if for some reason you are looking externally, it's always uh, a, a really valuable background if you want to stay in medical device industry but move to another type of company it really translates well um, in terms of like movement through the company you can really move to all different parts of the company depending on that your background and quality um, typically it's really only limited to like they want a specific type of experience like supplier quality experience um, so if you're looking for a role like that you, you need to get some some experience either on projects in that space or get uh, figure out another way you can get some experience there. Um, moving internationally is possible, but it can be more challenging in that they typically want people who from those countries who have experience mm. with the local regulations to fill those roles. But once you get to more senior jobs, I have seen it where they'll pull people, you know, highly skilled people to help with things like integrating a new company or setting up a new quality system in, in a co company that we acquired that's foreign foreign um, based. And so there is opportunities. It's just maybe a little more, it's probably a little more um, as it comes up, a little bit more maybe lucky in terms of timing, but you do have the opportunity to really get some exposure to different different areas for sure. And, you know, I always partner, I when I was in quality systems and even in my role now, I partner with our regional partners a lot. So you still get a lot of that international experience talking to them it can bring travel opportunities and and just other more short-term um interactions within your role which are a, a tremendous experience to have any sort of inter international 
interaction and working with those kind of offshore teams is, is always a big enhancer to your, your experience and your resume. Yeah, and I've seen that more and more often where there's probably a little less like international assignments, but a lot more international exposure, whether it be travel, a project, um, you know, or a launch, or you go over and assist on something versus a permanent assignment. For example, we just had a job um, from another medical device company, came to this last conference in new product development, and they needed, um, they were hiring a program manager to help them reduce the cycle time for new product approval for China. And so you're not going to be based in China, but you'll travel over there occasionally and you'll work with people over there, but you get that kind of broader, bigger exposure without necessarily that permanent assignment. Yeah. You know, it's really a function of cost. It's a lot cheaper to get someone who works in that area to do it, but if they really need a specific skill set and can't get it, then they'll definitely pull on people. And, you know, um, I have a colleague I keep in touch with, a good friend, Jason Feifel is his name. He actually went through Canada yeah. first as well. And yep. he's um, he's been leading the integration from a quality perspective of uh, an Israeli company called Mazor that we just acquired about a year ago that's bringing like robotic technology into one of our businesses. And so he's been traveling there a lot. I know other people who routinely travel to our, our Asian factories or our Mexican factories to, to deal with them. So there's, there is tremendous opportunity to interact with those teams. Um, you just have to be really open-minded on how that's going to come and, and really be flexible with your time. A lot of that, you know, it's not a standard nine to five when you're working internationally, but um, people are still, flexible and respecting that kind of work-life balance as much as possible. Sure. Dave, a couple more questions as we wrap up the the podcast. How did your, you talked a little bit how your safety and some of your experience functionally related to business. Like what leadership traits did you develop in the, in the Navy that have really allowed you to be a valuable contributor there at Medtronic? I think first and foremost, the military really imbues you with the the ability to take hold of um, unplanned situations and run with it and really be flexible to to changing conditions um, responding to whether it's an emergency you know in my own case an emergency on the flight line and now you have to be at, at work to handle it um, and and the willingness to really adapt and deal with difficult conditions um, I think that's probably one of the big key key uh, skills that has really translated across the willingness to really say, yep, I can do that. You, you know, you really, you'll see the people who, who their first reaction is, well, that's not part of my job or that's something I naturally don't do. And um, it really shows something to leadership and your peers and your, and the people who work with you or under you, if you're willing to kind of take that lead and show people you're, you're willing to get your hands dirty and get involved. Um, in fact, probably my biggest, project here was really as a result of them just pulling on me to do it. Um, it was when Hurricane Maria devastated Puerto Rico just under two years ago. We have four major facilities down there and they wanted to implement a centralized coordination apparatus, if you will, to coordinate all the different businesses and activities that had to be put in place to support that. And I was tapped to, to lead the quality at work stream as part of that effort. And it, it, you know, overnight I was pulled into, you know, something that was 12 to 15 hour days and seven days a week. 
Um, and through that effort and kind of the willingness to take hold of that and the, the ability to, at short notice, build the team, um, really enabled me to get that job done and it really reflected well on me. And I think I wouldn't have gotten that experience uh, had I not really been put in challenging situations through my time in the military. Um, it, it, you're so interesting. You you mentioned Maria. I was talking to another another podcast with a, a gentleman named Mike DeBach, who's a I believe he's a VP at NextTerra Energy, and he talked about one of the first jobs, one of the first big assignments they gave him was setting up uh, an emergency. Um, kind of an emergency next era area in the panhandle of Florida after uh, the hurricane flowed through there. And that's how he ended up really making a name for himself, just really applying those contingency plans, emergency response, getting logistics and moving all the parts and things and in that you just learn in the military just to make things happen and overcome obstacles. Uh, that's how he ended up initially making a name for himself. So it's just interesting on that parallel. Dave, as we wrap up, um, I've got a couple questions I always like to ask the, my podcast um, uh, guests. Uh, best advice that you've ever received that you would be willing to share with our listeners? And I know that puts you on the spot. And you may have to think about that. In terms of like career advice? Can be career advice, leadership advice, but like the best advice you ever received. Like for example, my be the best advice I ever received. And I'm so grateful for this. My professor at Notre Dame, uh, Bob Drebs, um, told me, "It's not what you do; it's who you are." And it's always remember, no matter what my title is, no matter what role I have, it's always most important who I am and how I treat other people. And that's the and I'd like to share that with other people. Is there any advice that you received in your life that you would be willing to share other people with other people today? Yeah, I would say that probably the most, I would say helpful, especially through a very stressful time where, which is a transition and where you really want to make a name for yourself is really um, the, the, the advice I got, which is really to like, Kind of disassociate yourself from the result, but still be engaged with how the process is done. Really own that process mm. and take pride in that, but don't be so married to the results that it, it colors how you do that. Meaning that, you know, if you're so worried about getting that perfect project completed at the perfect time, there's a lot of unknowns that go into that that you absolutely can't control. And there's going to be a lot of things you, in retrospect, could have planned for or, or could have maybe handled differently but at the time it made sense and and i think by just saying like disassociate disassociate yourself from those results a little bit it's like to psychologically distance yourself so you can focus on not worrying about how it's going to come out but really develop develop the best product and the best process as you're doing it um mm. and then to me that's always helped me um kind of calm down a little bit and then be willing to really speak my mind and be direct and and um, make the best recommendation to, to leadership or my peers as, as required to get the best outcome. I think uh, that just, it builds a little bit of a cushion there to, to make you remember that the major part of your work is getting the job done day to day. It's not necessarily just what the end outcome is. And there's a lot of success getting, getting to that no matter what the final outcome is.
Oh, it's great advice. It's great advice. Having somebody that talks shares with me that too. You know, we got a goal, we got a number, we got to focus on the goal, we focus on the number, and you get so tied up in that goal or that number, all you can control is what you can control. And at the end, no matter what that number or result ends up being, and ask yourself, did I do the very best I can every day and just keep showing up, keep showing up every day to be able to get there. So when you're saying that, that's what was resonating with me. Yeah, absolutely. Um, any, uh, a book, uh, a book recommendation that you would offer to the listeners that's been helpful for you? You know, I read, um, I like it. I like books that kind of help with like analyzing people's like motivations and, and helping, helping from that perspective that go just not, that can be applied not just in work and career, but more broadly. And so I've liked books like um, Drive by Daniel Pink. I think Quiet is one about like introverts by I think Susan Collins and um, um, uh, I believe it's called Emotional Agility by Susan David. They're a little more broad, a little more, I, I would say maybe self-help oriented some of them, but I think they really help you understand how people that you're working with might be coming at different activities or options and keep their perspective in mind, particularly when you're dealing with a lot of people you don't really might not know as well as like a really core team. You have to really try to put yourself in their position and understand what's motivating them um, in order to be productive. And so I've, I've always found those types of books very helpful. I would say Daniel Pink's Drive is probably at the top of that. Uh, yeah, I love Daniel Pink. And I've read Drive to Sell as Human by, by Daniel Pink. He's got another one called When um, that I've not read, but I've heard several people reference before. Um, but anyway, Dave, thank you so much for being on this uh, uh, this podcast today and a guest. And uh, I appreciate your time, your knowledge, your insight, and the support that you give Cameron Brooks and all the military officers that are making the transition. Yeah, Joel, it's been my pleasure. I, I really appreciated the time talking to you. And, you know, best of luck to you and to all the listeners out there. Thank you, everyone, for listening to another episode of the Cameron Brooks Podcast. To learn more about Cameron Brooks, visit us on our website at www.cameron-brooks.com, as well as you can check out our book, PCS to Corporate America, which you can find on Amazon. If you like this episode, we've got about 75 other ones, a lot out there. I hope you really enjoy them. Any feedback that you have, you can always email them to me at joel at cameron-brooks.com. Hey.